Welcome to the Point of View Live podcast. I'm Chris Berg. Thanks so much for joining us earlier today here in Fargo. Great event called Ag Views Live. Talking about the wild ride ahead in ag. And so I got some special guests I want you to hear from today about what's going on in ag, what's on the horizon, what you really need to be aware of. So three special guests coming up later in this podcast. The president and CEO of Piper Auction and Realty, Kevin Piper, breaks down the value, what's happening with farmland right now, why that is still a great investment. Plus, in a moment, you're going to hear from Bell Banks, Senior VP of Agribusiness Development, Lynn Paulson. And then Dr. David Cole, Professor Emeritus from Virginia Tech, says, Ag Today, New Era of Prosperity or Temporary Opportunity? Lynn, we'll start with you. If you don't mind just giving people that unfortunately couldn't be here, just the general overview of what took place today. Yeah, we've done, been doing this for a number of years, and we took last year off because of COVID, whatever. But we really try to bring together all the stakeholders in the ag world, producers, ranchers, businessmen, even people who live in South Fargo, whatever, because as we all know, um, ag affects everything in this area. We're all connected to ag in one, one way or another and kind of separate the wheat from the chaff out there. And Dr. Cole, for you, I mean, there was so much information shared today. I guess for the people that couldn't be here, what's the most important thing you think they should focus on or know about what took place today? Well, it's definitely a global world. You gotta kind of think globally and bring it down locally. I think one of the things we real, really stressed is manage uh, the things that you can focus on, manage around the uncontrollables. But one of the big messages that I brought through uh, you know, if you look at opportunity, it's not temporary, it's permanent for the folks that have a high business and financial IQ. Speak to some of the things that really jumped out as far as you said, hey, Chris, we could see $100 barrel oil. Obviously, that's going to increase the cost of inputs. You talked about plant proteins and where those are going. I mean, some of the things that are on the horizon, you think people here in North Dakota, Minnesota, Montana should be focused on from a farmers and ranchers perspective. I think one of the things is we are definitely seeing this inflation and we're seeing inflation in energy as the administration has kind of taken a different stance and of course we've got the electrical vehicles and people are not thinking through the unintended consequences and it's playing right into Russia and OPEC's uh, uh, game plan. So one of the things is these businesses whether it's agriculture or non-agriculture, are going to have to play the inflation card. In other words, you can't manage your financials once a year. They have to be managed, you know, monthly exactly. or quarterly, right? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of uh, people think when they think of inflation, whatever, that it's just at the consumer level. But farmers aren't certainly are not immune from, from the inflationary pressures that are coming. And as Dr. Cole mentioned, you know, the things that are tied to oil, uh, farmland rental rates, machinery and equipment, whatever. And once they go up and... and Commodity prices can adjust in a heartbeat. It takes a long time to retract some of these expenses once they get up. So profitability today may go negative pretty quickly as these commodity prices. If, if you haven't exercised some good business IQ, done some managing, scenario planning, and that sort of thing. So I want to get you both to comment is this, because one thing that really jumped out to me, and you made a point of this, Dr. Cole, was the fact that, hey, uh, last year, because of the government payments, even the lowest 20% of our farmers made money. And you said, wow, that is a major concern. Why? Yeah, it's a major concern. 63% of net farm income in the United States of America came from a government check. You know what that does? It makes a passive manager. It's like the government checks to our households. Uh, it's made a passive uh, household out there. And so one of the things that I'm really stressing uh, to agriculture producers and business in general, they better have a game plan post uh, 
government checks. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, and, and that complacency sets in a little bit. And as I mentioned, you know, you take government payments out of the equation. This was the lowest net farm income uh, year since uh, 2009, whatever. So it's it's a major deal. So, you know, you still have to have the fundamentals. The government can take giveth and it can taketh away. Um, and, and if you take those away, and if you're planning and, and if you're managing your farm on government payments, that could probably come back and get you in, in the long run. This is a little bit off topic, but not really. But one of the things that jumped out to me as well, Dr. Cole, is you said, hey, you know, we've seen the, the stock market go from early 2020 from 16,000 to now 35,000. You go, guys, be aware. We see inflation. We see the Fed's change course. You're going to see that thing nipped off in, uh, at least by a third. Yeah, there's an old saying, if it grows too fast, it's a weed. <laughs> and this stock market has definitely grown too fast. We're getting away from a lot of the fundamentals. And, of course, what we're doing is we're taking uh, investors out at the extremes because historically they've known the government will back them up and the Fed will back them up. And when those two cards are taken away, this uh, market could see a correction. So as a banker, I'm assuming you're always looking at, hey, how do I minimize or mitigate risk? So let's talk about what are some of the things on the horizon for farmers and ranchers that they can be doing to mitigate or minimize risk. Also from both you, where, as you look on the horizon, where is their opportunity? Well, I think from a managing risk standpoint, you know, this this market, these commodity markets are giving an opportunity to, to go out and lock in prices for, for years out, whatever. And you may not want to do the whole crop, but, I mean, it, it's possible to go out and for most producers to lock in some profits, not only for 21, for 22, and, and so forth, and that type of thing. And when you take a look at the other expenses, and especially interest rates, um, boy, an opportunity to fix some long-term interest rate on, on any kind of term debt. We're at historic lows. I can't imagine that there's much downside uh, to that. So I would say take a look, go back to the things you can control, work on those, and then you, you know, in these years that you're building profitability, like in 2020, you know, sock that away in, in your working capital because, you know, that's the shock absorber for when these years turn down, and, and they will. It's Agriculture's been a cyclical business for, for generations, and, and it's not going to change going forward. Yeah, and I would stress this working capital because, see, working capital, is a blacking strategy for adversity, but it's an opportunity strategy uh, because you can, uh, when everybody else is walking, you can run. <laughs> and so stressing that working capital is critical. And you know what the other thing, Lynn? Cost of production is a moving target, it is. particularly with this inflation. So one of the things that you've got to do is push that pencil, push those spreadsheets, and know where your break-evens are so you can lock in on that profit. Uh, One of the other things you mentioned that you saw as a potential downfall or a risk is consolidation. So I want you to speak to that, and then I want to also go into a little bit more specifics regarding you know the situation for our ranchers and beef prices. I think one of the things is we've got too much power in the hands of too few. And, and you see it in technology, but you see it in farming and ranching. And whether it comes to machinery dealerships or, uh, or machinery companies or seed companies or with our processing business, uh, it takes away the entrepreneurism in America. And America was built on entrepreneurism. And so there's going to be some initiatives to uh, try to break it up. It's a tough, a tough one to break up because uh, they've got a lot of money, a lot of power. Uh, but uh, one of the things is if we don't do it, we destroy entrepreneurism and agriculture. And that's what built America. Well, what, what, what frightens me is how you know, you've got the JBS, which is a Brazilian company. You've got the Chinese. I mean, it's just it's like, what what are we doing? And I, I guess one quick question I want to ask you, because you, you showed the global GDP growth between the U.S. and China in the rising Asia. And I you talked about authoritarian capitalism. And if I looked at just your numbers, I 
think you could make an argument that authoritarian capitalism is, is a good thing. What, what would you say to that? Well, I think one of the things is authoritarian capitalism will allow you to grow fast because basically in authoritarian capitalism, we're going to put the resources here. Nobody argues with it. But is it going to be sustainable in the long run? And I think right now, <clears throat> China's getting some pushback from countries in Africa or even in South America. And of course, we've seen the United States and Europe kind of join together to kind of counter China. So it's going to be interesting to see if it's a 100-year strategy. How much of an impact is it going to have on our ranchers with this plant protein that's coming in? Because my grandma's down in Wapaton. She was at the butcher's the other day, and she's like, we're not really, really buying beef right now because we're afraid that beef's going away. I think one of the things is a lot, a lot of our big companies are taking a very passive approach in agriculture. I think it's a definite threat because there's a lot of money. They, these companies feel they're saving the environment. And you watch, they're going to be able to move very, very quickly mm -hmm. into the marketplace and they're lowering their costs. So this is definitely a real threat. All you got to do is walk into a grocery store, Blacksburg, Virginia, home of Virginia Tech. I was shocked a number of alternative products out here, but I'm going to get after some of our big companies in agriculture. They're allowing these companies to come in. And every time you have a supply chain issue, you just accelerate that. So, but it's interesting how, how consumer habits change so quickly or, or where their priorities are. You know, in, in this COVID, when there was a shortage of meat because of processing shortfalls, whatever, most of the American housewives or house husbands that were going in and doing shopping and the meat counter was bare, they kind of change their priorities and go, I want my beef, where, where is it, you know, so to speak. So I'm, I'm concerned about alternative proteins or whatever, but I think there's a niche, whatever. We just need to be smart about it. We need to educate the public a little bit about how beef is raised, the, the, the health benefits. And quite frankly, you know, they, it's, it's a little bit ironic when you take a look at the, the food label of some of these alternative proteins, whatever, it's like, do you know what half of this stuff is that's going into it, whatever. Um, so it, it seems to be, you know, finding that right balance. But it's just the ecology of the grazing, yeah. and I mean, it's gonna impact everything, doesn't it? Yeah, well, and the whole thing is, we have not done a good job selling our stuff. No, exactly. And and that's where I get after the big companies uh, that have done a poor job. And again, where I'm enthusiastic is we've got this younger generation of agriculture producers. Do you notice the audience today? Number of females in the audience. And they're the younger generation of the females are very connected to the consumers. So that's why I see the cup half full rather than cup but you know producers need to get are, are very independent by nature whatever um, and they need to set some of that aside quite frankly because you know I think they did a study here uh, a survey that 49% of the American farmers and ranchers think it's the consumers it's none of their business on how their food is raised that's got to go away I mean that that simply doesn't work in this environment and if you're locked into that that sort of mindset there will be problems uh, where do you guys see opportunities or what's your assessment of farmland, prices, rents, things of that nature? Well, I, I think farmland, as they mentioned today, has always been a very, very good investment. Um, you know, it makes up the bulk of the, the financial, the balance sheet of, of producers and so forth. So, you know, I don't think there's ever been more risk in agriculture right now, but there's never been more rewards for the, for the really good managers. And, and, and so it's like, you know, we always come back to that business IQ and doing the right things and, and managing the details and not just focusing purely on production, but focusing on the marketing and the financial management and things like that. And that's where, you know, some of these younger folks coming in, boy, they, they're, they're, they're low cost producers. They know the numbers, they know the spreadsheets and they're, 
they're they're taking the, the data and 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 they're, the information and, and using it for data and, and getting something out of it. And I definitely concur to that. And they know how to use these spreadsheets and they know the numbers. They're able to connect whether it's a niche market or an export market out there. So I'm very, very enthusiastic about it. And also, they know the power of people. They know the power of advisory teams and being able to seek out. But sometimes those advisory teams are outside the agriculture industry, which gives them another balanced type of perspective. So I do about 20 programs nationwide annually with young farmers and ranchers multi-day. You ought to be there with me. I mean, if you can't get excited, these folks are open. I'll be in Nashville on Friday doing one. It's just very exciting. So there's a lot of hope for you. United States agriculture. I'd love to hear that. To both of you guys, thank you so much for thank doing you. this. We really appreciate yeah. it. God thank bless you. you. Great. Thank Thanks. you. Incredible event today. I guess for the people that couldn't be here, what's the most important thing they should know about this event today and what you had to say? Well, I think one of the most important things to be thinking about is as, as you try and build or muscle build your balance sheet today in farming, uh, look at using debt financing, leverage the reasonably priced debt financing that's out there today because we're talking about prime lending rates around three, three and a quarter percent. You can lock in long-term interest rates today to make these farmland purchases with reasonable loan-to-value terms from your lender, and then you can go on and start, you know, whether it's 80 acres, 160 acres, whatever it might be, because we all know sooner or later the Federal Reserve is going to increase rates, and this window of opportunity is going to start to close. You don't want to be one of those people that, oh, I should have, could have, would have, and then all of a sudden you look back and interest rates are double what they are today. Most people say, hey, you make your money going in, right, when it comes to real estate. So how can people work with you? Because farmland can be expensive. How can people work with you to find good deals so when they can start to make money as they go into the deal? Yeah, you know, if you're a patient farmland buyer, I think the best thing to do is lay it out what it is you want in your portfolio. Do I want to have a portfolio that's really balanced? Do I want to have a combination of farmland that raises annual crops or perennial crops or whatever it might be. How can I design that portfolio that works for me? You can be a patient buyer in this market and obviously with the interest rates maybe potentially gonna tick up a little bit. But again, just determine what it is you want. Settle in for that rate of return that you think you can live with. What are my financial means to be able to put that downstroke or that loan to value down? Put that in place and then build this plan. The hardest piece of land to buy is always your first home. After that, it gets a lot easier. And again, lenders are willing to work with people so much today because they also have access to such affordable debt financing. Boy, that's a great point. One thing that really jumped out to me when you guys were talking about buying land in Iowa versus North Dakota, and then you said, hey, the reason why it could possibly give North Dakota a competitive advantage in comparison to Iowa. Talk more about that, please. Well, the Iowa land prices right now are so astronomically high, and we all know why, because you know they're closer to a lot of the end users. They're closer to the ethanol plants or the hog barns or whatever it might be. Their, their farms are a lot smaller too, but you know, up here in this part of the country, our yields traditionally for soybeans and corn are, are not substantially, but they're less than they have been in Iowa and Illinois, southern Wisconsin and some of those states, and then we're farther away from the end user of the market. So we have huge transportation costs that we get knocked for. So we don't get to have that premium in the bushels on the soybeans or the corn or even the wheat that some of the farmers will get in some of the I states in Wisconsin. As you look out over the frontier, you mentioned today some things that you know are on your radar, are of some concern. 
Can you go through those for our audience right now and explain them? Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest concerns right now are the input costs for the American farmer today. You know, crude oil today hit, a, hit its highest mark in six years. So a lot of input costs for agriculture are petroleum-based, whether it's fertilizer, it's fuel itself, or whatever it might be. So as those costs go up, yeah, commodity prices are going up. But if they can go up parallel, we're probably going to be fine. But if we get in a situation now, especially going into harvest where petroleum is going to be somewhat out of whack and if crude hits you know that 80 90 hundred dollar barrel then farmers and ranchers are going to be paying a whole lot more for commodities that are priced the same so again we want to be able to be in a balanced economic situation where input costs are more moderate and more considerate than they are going to be probably this fall a couple of things you mentioned was the stepped up basis possibly going away 1031 speak to some of those factors that right now you're thinking about, hey, Chris, this is what people can be doing to protect themselves. Yeah, well, there's obviously going to be changes in the U.S. tax law. There's no there's no question about it. It's just a matter of when or what kind of variable that we're going to have. So right now with capital gain tax, the structure we have today is really reasonable. It really is. It's been around for decades and decades. But if we start seeing somewhat of a, a, a seismic shift in all of that, and if Congress starts taking away things such as stepped-up basis, it's going to turn a lot of things upside down in a hurry for a lot of people because the stepped-up basis really, to a large degree, took care of a lot of estate planning for people because if they died, their heirs got the new valuation on their land at the date of the last survivor's death, so they didn't have to worry about doing a whole lot of planning. But if that goes away, there's going to be more and more of a need for planning. And then also, if capital gains taxes are going to be increased, the seller should look at alternative investments and put them, like you said, into a 1031 investment so that you can defer that capital gain tax. You never avoid it, but you can always defer it, and you can defer it into the next generation. And there are very good alternative investments. REITs are good, real estate investment trusts. Traditionally, they perform outperform farmland in the market. 145 million Americans have an investment in REITs, whether they know it or not, through their 401k or IRAs or whatever. So those are good investments. So again, it's all a matter of being cognizant and aware of what is available and what the consequences may be if you don't plan. Speaking of that, you talked about leveraging the financing piece right now. Where else do you see opportunity for investors in regards to land? I think there's a lot of good opportunities right now in the corn and soybean land market. I really do. I think once you get outside of the edges of the Red Valley, North Dakota, and obviously, again, value is somewhat local dependent, so you could have pent-up demand in certain areas. But again, I think if, if somebody's looking for a valuation, you can find these valuations if you're willing to be patient and if, if you're not really, you don't have to dive into the market right away and not be in a big hurry because you may need to look at 20 deals before you can buy the right one that fits your portfolio.